You're listening to the Evanston Bible Fellowship Podcast. EBF is a community of sojourners empowering one another to cultivate gospel transformation. To learn more about our church, visit ebfchurch.org. Our passage tonight is going to be Psalm 4. Listen to these words from Psalm 4. Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him, tremble and do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Many are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. In peace, I will lie down and sleep for you alone, Lord. Make me dwell in safety. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good evening. It's still going to take some getting used to for sure in saying that, but it is good to be in the house of the Lord together this evening and welcome to those here for those joining us online as well. This, uh, this 4th of July weekend, it actually is, I think, a good reminder for us of the greater freedom that we find in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And this psalm, Psalm 4, just as every page of scripture whispers his name, I feel like this psalm shouts it. And just as we heard about our God who is, who is holy, who is good, 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 uh, here in this passage we see Jesus, the holy and faithful servant. We are in a series in the psalms called Anatomy of the Soul. The psalms give voice to the full range of human emotion all of our experiences in life. And we're continuing to work our way through these psalms uh, today in Psalm 4, which is in, in many ways a companion to Psalm 3 that we looked at last week. So as we uh, dive in, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Speak to us, O Lord, through your truth. Your word is truth. Thank you for the reminder on these pages of of who you are, of what you, are, of what you have done, of your faithfulness to past, present, and future. Lord, would you use your word to meet us in a place perhaps of pain, perhaps in a place of unjust suffering ourselves. And Lord, would you speak to us and would the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You know that old saying? Often rings pretty hollow, doesn't it? The problem is that words can wound severely. The false accusations can be agonizing. That when our reputation and honor is dragged through the mud, it can be devastating. 
Nearly everyone faces this at some point in this fallen world, whether it be in the form of slanderous lies, groundless accusations, having our name, our reputation dragged through the mud. How are we called to respond in the face of those things? That's where Psalm 4 comes into play. That's what Psalm 4 speaks about. And as another old song goes, Mama said there'll be days like this, days that require a song, a psalm like this to go to sleep at night, to hear God's truth proclaimed in the midst of challenging and desperate situations. Psalm 4 addresses a common human experience, that of agonizing injustice, and provides quiet confidence and trust in the Lord. It begins with a desperate cry in pain and ends with a confident declaration of the peace and security that is found only in the Lord, thus modeling how we too as believers in Jesus Christ are to act and to trust when we find ourselves under attack. You know, this, this message, this psalm might just need to come with a, like a trigger warning across the top of it because you might recall a situation like what the psalmist faced. You might be in the midst of it right now. Psalm 4 is regarded, as I mentioned, as a a companion to Psalm 3. Psalm 3 came to be known as a morning psalm, and Psalm 4 then an evening psalm. And last week as we explored Psalm 3, we saw how in the wake of being forced to flee his son Absalom's attempted coup, David expressed pain in the face of overwhelming odds when everything seemed stacked against him. He expressed confidence in the Lord's ability to protect him. He expressed peace of mind that flowed from God's sustaining power and presence. And yes, he expressed hope that ultimately God would be the one who would deliver him, that who would set things straight. And as he declared at the end of that verse, as at that end of that psalm, as we see then throughout the rest of the pages of Scripture, salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You know, while some have seen similarities in the circumstances surrounding Psalm 3 and 4, I believe that the situation that David faces here is is different, is slightly different. The title not only includes David as the author, but provides kind of interesting, these musical notations just about that give the the worship director the, the sign that it is to be accompanied by strings. It kind of made me want to have Moses, you know, bust out his violin as we go through this, this psalm together. As we see in Psalm 4, though, it begins with a desperate cry for help in verses 1 and 2, verse 1, actually. Then in verses 2 through 5, a challenge that is leveled toward the psalmist's enemies. And then in verses 6 to 8, a confident prayer in trust to the Lord. So let's dive in, beginning with that cry for help in verse 1. The psalmist cries out to the Lord for help with the confidence that the Lord will intervene. Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Psalm 4 begins as a classic prayer of lament. This turning to the Lord 
But then we encounter some, some key differences. But first, look at these first four rapid-fire petitions that kind of pile up in a way. Answer me, give me relief, have mercy on me, hear my prayer. These rapid-fire petitions convey a sense of urgency, of desperation. And in calling the Lord my righteous God, David appeals to God's justice. He looks to the Lord for his vindication, that is being shown to be in the right. David cries out for relief from his distress. Think of a time when you felt hemmed in, trapped, nowhere to go. Think about this even physically or spatially. Maybe it was in a traffic jam. For me, maybe it's this weekend that gives me these reminders, but I'm reminded of a taste of Chicago many years ago. Some of you are cringing maybe right now just to think about the size of the crowds that are in Grant Park for that back in the day. Nowhere to go, hemmed in. Maybe you've been on a hike and got turned around and ended up in some difficult terrain with really no way out. That's what the sense of this word here means for distress. And the word for relief is similar. Well, first of all, distress has to do with a narrow place. And the word for relief has to do with freedom, has to do with a broad place. And so the psalmist asks for freedom from his constriction to be brought into a broad place in the face of this narrow place that he finds himself in, hemmed in. It would be like saying, though I am hemmed in, lead me to a wide, spacious place. We'll see in a moment what it is that has him feeling trapped, but David recognizes that he is not without fault of his own, for he can still say, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And hear my prayer. There are lessons for us to learn from this verse As David turns to the Lord in prayer, his prayer is urgent. It rests entirely upon God's righteousness. It is specific, and it is based upon God's mercy. When we feel trapped, when we feel like there is nowhere to go, is our first instinct to cry out to the Lord in prayer, to go to him with our requests for help, The reality is that we can do so urgently, we can do so boldly, not because of our own righteousness, but because of his. Oh, God of my righteousness, as David declares. And we can do so knowing that he hears us. That word for hear has inherent in it response, that he responds to us, and that he freely pours out his mercy. Let's look at verse two. The psalmist challenges his enemies to change their ways and place their trust in the Lord. Verses two through five. How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. How long? 
These are words that we're going to become quite familiar with in the Psalms. How long? It is an expression that shows concern for the length of time of one's present condition. You know, with the summer upon us and maybe some road trips in full swing, what is that dreaded question that parents do not particularly like to hear from their kids in the back of the van? This is not a rhetorical question. What's that dreaded question? Anybody? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? This is like the psalmist's way of saying, are we there yet, but in a much more painful and exasperated way. Although, maybe your response to that question is quite painful and exasperated. But normally, these words are directed, as we will see, these words are directed to the Lord. How long, O Lord? How long? But here they're found surprisingly at the beginning of David's challenge toward those who are The phrase that is used here literally is the sons of man. The sons of man. There is ample evidence to suggest that this phrase is used in scripture of those of higher social status, those of of influence or of wealth. It's found in Psalm 62 verse nine that says, surely the lowborn are but a breath, the highborn are but a lie. In Psalm 49, verse 2, this phrase, these, these people of higher social status are contrasted with the poor. David's complaint is that these are the people that are turning his glory into shame. He, is, he has already spoken of God himself as his glory in Psalm 3, verse 3. And here it's as if he draws from those reserves and laments the way these people are insulting and shaming his honor, and dragging his reputation through the mud. What's more, David charges them with loving delusions and seeking false gods. That word for false gods could actually, could also be translated lies. If you think about it, false gods are lies. In Psalm 62 verse 9, those with high social status and the lies they perpetuate are also connected. Do you see some of those, those connections here? I think the New Living Translation captures the force of verse 2 well when it says, how long will you, will you people ruin my reputation? How long will you make groundless accusations? How long will you continue your lies? Have you been there before? perhaps in the workplace, perhaps in, an, in another situation that you can recall, when false accusations were leveled toward you, when your name, when your reputation was under attack. In the verses that follow, David directs a five-fold challenge toward those who are ruining his reputation with their groundless accusations and slanderous lies. A five-fold challenge. First, it is to know the truth. David urges them to grasp the truth that he has been set apart by God as his faithful servant. Remember back to Psalm 2, verse 6. It says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. The words for faithful servant here is the adjective form of the word hesed, that is, steadfast love. 
David asserts that he has done what is right in God's eyes and has remained faithful to him. And that is why he can declare with confidence, the Lord hears when I call to him. But even in calling his mockers to know the truth, it is an invitation to relationship. The word for know here is not simply the word that is used for intellectually knowing something about someone. It's more close to experiencing something through a relationship. Side note, today is Danielle and our uh, 13th anniversary. So July 3rd, 2009, if you can think back that far. Thank you, I appreciate that. If you, I was just reflecting upon this, this verse and these words because you can bet that I have a much more deeper knowledge and experience of who Danielle is at this point, 13 years in, than I did when we first got married. And that's what this word has to do with, that of knowing, knowing the truth. The kind of knowledge David desires his enemies to have is the kind that comes through experience of relationship. Wow. Second, of this fivefold challenge is to turn from sinful anger. David calls them to tremble and do not sin. Verse 4. The word for tremble here can mean to tremble in anger, which is how some translations lean, but it can also mean to tremble before God. The sense would be closer to saying, stand in awe of God. And because of that, to cease one's sinning to stand in awe of God and to cease sinning. And closely akin to that is to show remorse for sin. The rest of verse four goes on to say, when you are on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. The bed in scripture is often portrayed as a place of reflection, of meditation, a place where plans are made. I felt somewhat convicted by this because more often than not, lately, I've found myself scrolling Zillow when I'm on my bed late at night. Can anyone identify with that? Okay, it's just me. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. I think there's, a, there's an SNL skit about that, if I remember correctly. But ah, the, the bed, though, is the place of reflection, a place where plans are made. And David urges them to use that same time to reflect on their actions and to be silent. H.C. Leupold summarizes verse 4 in this way, the evil you are planning should be abandoned because God is against you in it. You should be able to see this when you are upon your beds, searching your hearts silently. Fourth aspect of this challenge is to be restored to a right relationship. Through the offering of the prescribed sacrifices in the Old Testament, these accusers could be restored to a right relationship with God and to the one that they have offended. And this would be particularly sweet if, if you know some of the, the laws surrounding this, if they were able to eat that sacrificial meal together before God and enjoy this restored relationship. And yes, five to trust in the Lord. This fivefold appeal ends with urging his enemies to trust in the Lord rather than their own cunning, their own deceit, which is really what he has been saying from beginning to end. Trust in the Lord. 
What really stands out to me in these verses is what it reveals about David's heart toward his accusers. Where do we go? Where do our minds go toward those that level accusations toward us? Those that maybe perpetuate slanderous lies. We have the opportunity to respond like David in helping our enemies see the love of God and to open their hearts to the gospel. It also, I think, functions as a warning to those of us who may be tempted to slander others or damage their reputation. When we find ourselves lying awake at night and trembling out of anger or fear, ask God to search our hearts to reveal if we have allowed our anger to lead us into sin. There are times when we might act unjustly or speak angry words that could damage someone else's reputation. And when we do, we must confess, repent, seek to repair the wrong as David calls his accusers to do in this passage. But it doesn't end there. For in the last three verses, it ends with this confident plea to the Lord. The psalmist prays for the Lord to come to his aid and affirms his absolute trust in the Lord's protection. Look at verse six and onward. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. David turns his appeal here toward the Lord and gives voice to the many like him who are asking, who will bring us prosperity? And the answer to that question is found in the rest of the psalm. As David remembers all that the Lord has done, is doing, and will do on his behalf. And this comes in the form of two requests and a final expression of hope. The first being, let the light of your face shine on us. This is a magnificent statement. It is a, in many ways, it is an idiom for a smile. He is asking for God to smile on him, the smile of God. This is what signifies favor and blessing. It is rooted in the priestly blessing in Numbers 6, verses 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. I totally got sidetracked this week as I was looking at this, at this passage, or this verse in particular. And this, these verses in Numbers, this priestly blessing, believe it or not, there is a copy of these verses that is the oldest known scripture, according to archaeologists. The oldest example of any text of scripture is found on the Hinnom Scrolls. These are two silver amulets that date to the 7th century BC. And when they took these two tiny scrolls, silver scrolls, and unrolled them, they found these words, the Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. The oldest known text of any portion of scripture. Hmm. If the first request is for the smile of God, the second request is for abundance of joy. Greater than all the world has to offer, the psalmist asks for such abundant joy. It is not entirely clear who he refers to when he says, when their new, when their grain and new wine abound. It could be the many of verse 6 who seek the Lord's favor, the many that he gives voice to in their question, will the Lord prosper? But there's actually a possibility that this is actually being spoken of his enemies. He asks for abundant joy when those of high social standing who are tarnishing his good name prosper. When things seem to be upside down. And this is what caused him to issue this final expression of trust in verse 8. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Think back to Psalm 3, verse 5. It links together. That verse says, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. Not only is an abundance of joy to be found in our relationship with the Lord, but there is also a deep sense of security to be found in Him and Him alone. This peace and this safety is the kind that only the Lord can provide. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. You know, we have this wonderful little children's book called Psalms of Praise by Danielle Hitchin. I highly recommend it. It's a board book. It's a little more, a little more durable. We're, yes, we're still in that phase. But it is a motions primer. It gives several psalms and the motions that are attached to them. So like stand, sit, kneel, run, jump. And the very last page, in peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. The end of this psalm is a powerful reminder that our happiness does not depend on our material wealth or even on our circumstances, but ultimately on God's presence. The smile of God. The smile of God. This is a psalm that we can turn to again and again and pray when we are falsely accused or when we find ourselves restless at night or perhaps when both of those things happen at once. Notice the journey that David goes through from the beginning to the end of the psalm and the journey that it invites us to as those that find ourselves in the 21st century invited to read and to meditate and to sing these words ourselves from that of a desperate cry of pain to this confident expression of trust in peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. At the end of the day, every 
page of scripture whispers Christ's name and Psalm 4 is no exception. Just as David appealed to his righteous God in verse 1, Jesus is spoken of as the holy and righteous one. Acts 3 verse 14. He is the holy and faithful servant who the Lord has set apart for himself. He is the one promised by the prophet Isaiah who would shine God's light and fill their hearts with joy. Isaiah 9, 2 through 3 says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And in verse 3, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. Do you hear that connection? Shining God's light and filling their hearts with abundant joy. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. He alone expressed righteous anger and never sinned in the process. He trusted in God to be his peace and safety, perhaps no more vividly than when he slept peacefully at the bottom of the boat when the, when the sea tossed and raged all around him. And just as David cried out to the Lord in his distress, picture our Savior pouring out his heart to the Father in agonizing prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing full well what lay before him pouring out his heart under the looming shadow of the cross. He submitted to his Father's will and experienced the kind of peace that is described here in verse 8. Through it all, he perfectly trusted in the Lord. 1 Peter 2, verse 23 says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He became the perfect, all-sufficient sacrifice who was offered up so that we might experience his righteousness and fully trust in him. And he invites us into a personal relationship with him through an ever-growing knowledge of who he is and a commitment of trust in the Lord. For Christ himself was fully vindicated at his resurrection. He was shown to be in the right through his resurrection from the dead. 1 Timothy 3, verse 16. And yes, he gives us his peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. This is the same kind of peace that Paul talks about in Philippians 4, verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So church, no matter what comes our way, whether personal attacks, false accusations, slanderous lies, or more, those who trust in the those who trust in Christ and his finished work on the cross can cry out to God in our distress knowing that he hears us, that he responds to us, that he pours out his mercy 
we can know that we can place our complaints squarely at his feet. Display the gospel even before our enemies. Ask the Lord boldly for his favor and for joy, abundant joy, and declare with confidence, in peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you for these words of truth. And I pray for anyone here this evening, Lord, who may be faced with a similar situation, finding their good name tarnished, tempted to do reputation damage control, wondering how long Father, would you apply the words of this psalm as a healing balm? Would you call all of us to follow the the same process that your psalmist, your servant, went through? Father, would we cry out to you in the midst of our pain? Would we be real and honest with the struggles that we face? Thank you that you hear us. Thank you that you call us into a right relationship with you. Lord, thank you for showing us your smile and filling us with abundant joy. And so God, I pray for all of these, your servants here, those that may even struggle to sleep at night when the odds feel stacked against them. Lord, may we all find strength and comfort and solace in these words of hope and peace. I will lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord. Make me dwell in safety. We thank you, our righteous God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To hear more messages from EBF, subscribe to our podcast. And to find out how to get connected with our church, visit ebfchurch.org.